Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I thought we'd start with a quiz. Um, So we're going to have a quiz about mountains. I'm going to put the mountain up. Nick's got some superior engage work pens, which you could take away today. The first person he spots who knows this mountain that goes up will get the prize. We've got a few mountains to get through. So, uh, okay, first mountain. Uh, Sorry, Nick, you need to be looking at the group. (laughs) Okay, I think it will be a call out because otherwise it'll be difficult. Yes, okay, so it was over here. Okay, Uh, next mountain. Oh dear, Nick, make your judgment. (laughs) Okay, next one. Okay, I think (laughs) I think that was your father. (laughs) All right, uh, next one. Ha ha. Did someone say? cow. Okay, it's. <laughs> All right, it's the most visited mountain in the world. Two point five million um, people go to it. It's just up from Tokyo, apparently. So next mountain. <laughs> I have to give it to this person, Danny. <laughs> How have I been the one who's judging who gets it now? <laughs> All right, next one. Oh, you know what's good. <laughs> okay, I don't know. You can just give away the pens now. All right, and the last one. Ah, oh, very good. Very good. I was going to drop it off, but then I remembered that you've got your other campus at Mount Barker, so I thought we better put it up there. Okay, now um, there is one more picture of a mountain, but save that for a minute. We'll, we'll have a look at that. Why, why have a look at mountains and have a little quiz on mountains? Um, what's the fascination with mountains uh, with us as human beings? If you think about it, um, over world history, we have had this thing with mountains. And it's the reason because, I think the reason is because it's the intersection point between heaven and earth. And so a lot of interesting things happen on mountains. The, the law is given at Mount Sinai, uh, for those of us who know our Old Testament. Mount Olympus is the home of all the Greek gods shrouded up there in the clouds. Um, Mount Zion is the location where the Jews put the temple in Jerusalem. So why is it in Matthew 28, which we're going to have a look at this morning, why is it that in Matthew 28 Jesus musters his disciples back 120 kilometres from Jerusalem to a mountain. 120 kilometres from where he died, where he was buried and where he was resurrected. What's the significance of the location? So I need somebody to, with a big loud voice to read out Matthew 28 verses 16 to 20 if they could. Matthew 28 verses 16 to 20 off their phone. Any person... It's good to have a change of voice. Someone like to? Thank you. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks so much for that. So why does Jesus call his disciples to go to Galilee it's a significant location because it's the kickoff point in Matthew's gospel of Jesus' ministry. It's where he selects his disciples. It's actually where he gives his keynote address, which we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew returns to the place where it all began. And Matthew's gospel wouldn't be complete if we didn't go back to the mountain in Galilee. So this is a highly charged setting. And so what we're going to look at this morning for a few minutes is what we've come to call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And there are four things I want to share with you about the Great Commission today. The first is who gets it, sorry, who gives it, who gets it, and what we do with it, and who goes with us. So who gives it, who gets it, what we do with it, and then who goes with us. So let's look at it in those four parts. Now, um, there, if you go to the next slide, sorry, you'll see what we think is the mountain that Jesus called his disciples to uh, in Matthew 28. But if we move now to the first point, who gives it? Okay, in verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the original sense of that word is, I've just been given this authority. It's been newly placed in his hands. All through Jesus' life, he demonstrates his power. If you go to chapter 28 of Matthew, he has his power over demons. If you go to chapter 9, he has power to forgive, the, uh, to forgive sins. And now that authority unfills all the way to its natural end point where he now has power over death. He is a resurrected Christ. Death is no longer welded to sin. And the resurrection, if you think about it, is it is not some, the Christ is not some resuscitated corpse only to do his living and then die again another day. He's not some sort of Bradman-esque sort of first century inspiration for future generations. Of people. He is not even the experience in the disciples' lives of the power of positive thinking. This is not just the end of Matthew's story. This is actually the end of God's patient purpose and enduring project to take finite creatures and turn them into glorious eternal uh, humanity. This is what the disciples are struggling to grasp because they're looking at Christ and he is a transformed human being. The resurrected Christ has this new glorified body whose natural processes and powers of decay are no longer working in it. This is an absolutely unique point. Can you see this? In cosmic history. Christ is alive, he's real, he's physical, he's tangible. And he now says, all authority has been given to me. 
And it's not some raw power that he's ripped off anyone else. It's a conferred power. In Matthew 28, it's like um, this picture, I think the next picture, if you pop it up, is of uh, Queen Elizabeth. There's been a lot about her because of uh, the celebrations recently. But that was her coronation. And at her coronation, there was a formal transfer and declaration of power given to her and taken uh, into her hands. And no one else has it. It was given to her. And that is the sort of thing that's going on in Matthew 28. It's firmly now in Christ's hands. And what makes this commission so great is the truckload of authority that is borne by the person who's speaking at this point. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Nothing, nobody, no animal, no human being falls outside the gamut of this authority. And it echoes Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, which uh, I think we've got next. Uh, Here we go. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. That's who's giving these instructions. Now, it's upon that incredible hinge of authority that the mission of his followers is delivered because he has all this authority. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And Matthew refers to Galilee as belonging to the Gentiles um, throughout his gospel in chapter 5. And in doing that, he's really only quoting the Old Testament prophets themselves. So the next quote there on the screen is from Isaiah. And and (laughs) we're having trouble getting it. Um, It says, By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and to those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. So up to the commissioning in Matthew 28, the, the, the work that was being done by Jesus and his disciples was limited to the Jews, to Israel. And you'll see that in chapter 10. Now that mission is broadened out and it has universal scope. It's going to all the nations. And it's not Jesus' recommendation. It's not his great suggestion here. It's his final charge. Go reach people who don't know anything about me. This commission is the response of obedience for those people who meet the risen Christ. And I want you to note the depth, not just the scope here. I mean, the scope is everyone, but the depth is um, that he's calling them to do more than just get people across the line and maybe splash a bit of water upon them. He's asking them to make people into disciples. Now, if you think about... Matthew's gospel, and you read it, the whole story is about Jesus' work that he had cut out for him, trying to turn his own disciples into followers. You know, there was much blindness, there was much misunderstanding and failure and sin, and there was a lot of knocking into shape that went on. When people start following Jesus, it is the most incredible process to watch. But it is also messy. It's messy because sin creates mess in people. 
and it takes a while to deal with that. And sanctification takes time with people. And sometimes we don't have the patience for that, but, but that is the process of making disciples. Disciple must now become discipler. They must do what Jesus has done with them. And the catalyst for making disciples of the nations is the resurrection. You know, it had to be the motivation for them. That event catapulted Christians into mission. Because Jesus has all authority, he can now give Christians their marching orders. So in the strictest sense, a missionary is not someone who just crosses the sea. It's someone who sees the cross. It's someone who sees the cross. He doesn't say to these disciples, look, um, I've got this show going. Can you just maintain what you've got here? It's a mandate, an extraordinary mandate to make disciples of all types of human beings, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Many years ago now, John Stock came to South Australia and he spoke at Adelaide Town Hall and I remember that he uttered this unforgettable response to a question about, oh, you know, what about all the religions in the world? And this is what he said. Mission is not an impertinent interference into other people's lives. It's the unavoidable deduction from the Lordship of Christ. It's not an impertinent interference into other people's lives. It's the unavoidable deduction from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. One of the saddest things I see when people often become Christians is that their circle of their non-Christian friends shrinks dramatically. It's something that I've had to work very hard on as a Christian minister and I've certainly tried to instill it in my children. You see, the Great Commission calls you beyond your comfort zone. It takes you to people who are not always like you, where the territory isn't always nicely pegged out. So the spread of the gospel is going to be one of the primary indicators, I think, of your understanding and mind that Jesus is Lord. It's not the responsibility to convert people. That's God's business. But it is the responsibility to love people and to share the good news with them. So how do we do it? It's great because of who gives it. It's a great commission because of who gets it, us, but it's also because of how we do it. Even as God is narrowing down his um, blessings to one man, Abraham, in the Old Testament, one family, he still has his eye on the whole of humanity so that when you listen to his promise to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, if you just pop that up, I think, got that, next one, um, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Uh, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the Old Testament shows us how that promise unfurls. The Jews become a really attractional community. Uh, people come to them to find the living God from all 
the false ones. And the Psalms reinforce that. If you read through the Psalms, um, people are called to come and see this God of Israel. Um, and then that, uh, the prophets articulate the strategy in this next verse, if you pop it up on the slide there, it says, and many peoples in Zechariah 8, many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Almighty and to entreat him. Now, Jonathan Blout, the Secretary of the Netherlands Missionary Council, in 1974 wrote a game changer of a book. Um, if you show the next slide, this is what it looks like. It's a very, very old-fashioned looking book, The Missionary Nature of the Church. But it's a game changer. And the reason it's a game changer is because of the way it would shape your understanding of mission. He observed that the Old Testament missional model had a central... Now, I'm not an engineer, but I do understand that these words are a complete opposite, all right? So he understood that Old Testament missional model was centripetal. That is, it was a force that was compelling the nations to come and see who God was. But when you get to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, there is this great turning point where the force is largely not completely, but largely reversed. And instead of come to us, it's now go out to them. That's the activity of the early church, if you read the book of Acts. And if you're a, God, if you're a good Jew in the first century and you became a Christian and you sat around in the temple waiting for the world to come and see who God is, you'd be waiting until Jesus returned. Now, in some ways, I think... The church and where we're up to is still working largely on an Old Testament centripetal model. God's people are told at Matthew 28 to go out into the world. It's a centrifugal strategy. It's the dominant model you'll find in the New Testament. And I think we find this hard as churches and as individuals to live this missional life scattered throughout the world. You can have a think about why you might find it hard to live a life scattered in the world. Why is this an attractional model easier to lean into? If you have a look at the next slide, I think we've got a picture here of those two forces and how they work. Uh, not that I like amusements, but obviously some of you do, so that's good. So. Workplace mission, for example, is trying to work with people when they're scattered, okay? But even for something like a workplace ministry, it's very, very easy to put all your eggs in the basket of running events and an attractional model of getting people to things where they will come and hear what you have to say. Fantastic though those things might be sometimes for Christians to bring their non-Christian friends to, at the end of the day, the best work often is done scattered when we're in ones and twos. That centrifugal missional strategy. Now, if you go to the next slide, uh, if you want to read more on this idea of being scattered, uh, Andrew Scott in his book Scatter observes that even a, a casual read of the book of Acts will demonstrate that Christians infected the world with the good news like a pandemic. 
Within a 300-year period, Christians turned the Roman Empire upside down. How so? Well, this is what he says. This was not simply done by a bunch of preachers and missionaries holding gospel events, but by the energetic witness of people who lived next door or worked alongside those who did not know Jesus. They were business owners, labourers, fathers, mothers, storekeepers, merchants, carpenters, bureaucrats, officials, soldiers, landlords, living out their Christian lives in these communities into which God had scattered them. God's people were scattered into every strata of society from slave to king. So my question that niggles at me is why, when it comes to the great news of Jesus, do so many of us operate like we're in lockdown? You know, as a kid, ball sports weren't my thing. Uh, I just couldn't connect the ball uh, to my foot or wherever it was supposed to be. But as a parent, I went faithfully to my kids' soccer games. And even me, even I could observe a problem at the soccer games because there was lots of activity with those eight-year-olds. They had just run their little hearts out. Their energy was expended. Their resources were utilised. But at the end of the day, there wasn't a lot of progress that was made (laughs) because what they would do is they'd go around like some giant amoeba together around the whole... (laughs) thing. They just be bunched up together. Christians have been told to spread out in in Matthew 28. Not bunched together. You've got to take up your position and spread the fame of Jesus that way where God has placed you. So let me ask you two questions and I'll just pop them up on the PowerPoint here. Two questions to ask you at this point. What does being scattered look like for you week in, week out? And then secondly, what are some of the immediate things that you could do right now to help you spread out rather than bunch together all the time with other believers? Two really good questions, aren't they? To ask right now. In the Great Commission, Jesus reinterprets the creation mandate. Do you realise that? So instead of be fruitful and multiply, now it's scatter. Go out and make reflectors of God's image across the face of the whole earth. All right. So our last thing, who goes with us? After outlining this amazing task, extraordinary task to reach the world, Jesus says in verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The promise is not a warm fuzzy. It's actually an essential component for a supernatural task. And the book of Acts records the comments of non-believers who come across Christians. And they they know that they're not educated, they know they're not trained, but they just stand out. But the main thing that's said about them that's outstanding is that these people have been with Jesus, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And this is a relief because, you see, people don't need you to be Jesus, they just need to see that you've been with Jesus, This promise goes with you into your workplaces, 
It goes with you into difficult family relationships. It goes with you into tensions with your neighbours. This is Jesus' commission and he wants to collaborate with you. Not just leave you like a shag on a rock to work it out for yourself. What an enormous relief. He is with you always. Wherever you take that message, you are promised that Jesus is present in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the ability to do mission hangs on him going with us. And that promise begins in the first century and it lasts till the close of the age. It fills the space between now and when Jesus returns, but it does have a use-by date. I mean, in heaven, there'll be no more apologetic, apologetic book clubs. There'll be no more alpha courses. There'll be no more gingerbread house outreach events at Christmas. <laughs> that, that will be over. The time will come to finish that. This is the promise not just to the first disciples, it's to all. It's to all disciples till the end of human history. It's a promise that will not be rescinded until it's finished. So Jesus came to them. He said, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Did they do it? Oh, you bet they did. All the way down through history. New generations of Christians rising up, taking out that gospel, wearing it on their shoulders as their mandate. Thank God for the Christians who did, because it would never have got to you and I without it. I read this commission and I can't evade it. I can't give it to someone else to do in my place. I can't give it to the keen beans. I can't outsource it to the ministry staff or the evangelists or the missionaries. It's my commission. It's yours. Matthew is urging his readers to move from being spectators of the resurrection to players in the resurrection. Think about where you'll be tomorrow for the rest of this year. How will going and making disciples inform and shape what you do in 2022? What makes this great? If we go to the last slide, who gives it? All authority in heaven and earth is now placed in the hands of the only one who can ever reverse the decay of humanity. Who gets it? Make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey the task that will take us beyond our comfort zone. How do we do it? Well, mission is largely centrifugal, pushing out. So what does scattering look like for you? And are you prepared to move beyond your comfort zones? Who goes with us? He's always with you as you go and venture into those dark corners of the world, shining the light of the gospel where it's desperately needed. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the gravity and the turning point of the Great Commission that we see in the Gospel. Thank you that it is great because of who gives it, who gets it, what we do with it and who goes with us. And help us to consider how we can conduct mission in scattered mode in our lives as a church and as individuals. Help us to be faithful with what we're handed. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.